Hello, lovely listeners. These are crazy times we're living in, and we wanted to let you know we're thinking about you. Because we record our episodes in advance, we didn't want to give you the impression we're not concerned about what's happening. Things are changing rapidly, moment to moment, and the challenges of social distancing are affecting many around the globe. We feel it too. But rest assured, we're here for you. So reach out. Connect with us on our socials, by email, and or voicemail. But most important of all, take care of yourself and those you love. We'll get through this, and when we do, wine and hugs for everyone. Now on with the show. Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily, how are you today? Oh my gosh, I'm great. Yeah. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Yeah. I have wine. We're in the studio. I know. We're recording. Absolutely. It's, It's wonderful. And you? I'm doing fantastic. That's good. Wonderful. No, no complaints. You know, you haven't been to the Ritz Carlton in Clayton. No, I haven't. Lately, have you? And uh, neither did my son. <laughs> he was working with the florist this past weekend. They did okay. not actually have any events at the Ritz Carlton. So okay. I was, I was concerned about that. That's good. I mean, seriously. Okay, so let's catch the listeners up real quickly. Well, most of our listeners are from St. Louis, we but the ones listeners. who are not from St. Yes. Louis, yes. We had a our first coronavirus person identified in St. Louis yes. County. It was a young girl who had been traveling and studying abroad in Italy, mm-hmm. and she arrived back to the United States on like Monday or Tuesday yeah. of last week. And the story's a little deeper than that because she was in Italy and she was telling her family, "I don't feel so good," and they're like, "Hop on a plane and come home." Well, I didn't hear that part. I didn't <laughs> hear that like, part. Right. I can't, well, I mean, she probably wanted to get out before Italy locked everything down, which they did today. Like, there, nobody's right. going out of, in, in or out of Italy yeah. uh, tomorrow, starting tomorrow morning. But so this, this young college student flew back to Chicago, spent three days with her friends in Chicago, uh-huh. running around, doing her thing. Even though she didn't feel well. Okay, and that makes sense. And took the train back to St. Louis, oh, the God. Amtrak. And then woke up on Thursday and didn't feel well. So her mom being a, 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 a conscientious person, calls the hospital and they, or calls the health department first. Mm-hmm. They say, call Mercy Hospital, alert them. Mercy Hospital's all prepared, you know, a little unit for them, for her to go. She goes in and then, um, you know, and is tested. And then St. Louis County says to the family, you know, yeah. self-quarantine. Right. So self-quarantine for you and me and probably everybody else who's listening to it, unless the mom and the families are, are listeners of ours, but I, yeah. I don't know, um, means... You shut you, your doors, you, you open your home. wine, and you watch Netflix and, for a few weeks. Until you right? are past the past the, yeah. the contagious or, or have recovered from the disease or, right. or the virus, right? Yeah. No. No, they went to the um, the younger sister and the dad went to the father-daughter dance right. for at her high school at the Ritz on yeah. Saturday. Mom got her nails done oh, and her hair done and went to Snooks. Priorities, on, everyone. On, uh, I mean. Wiki Road. <laughs> and um, we're all pissed in St. Louis. So much so that we're pissed that that family has hired an attorney. 
to oh. speak out for them now and oh. say that St. Louis County didn't tell them, only told the daughter to self-quarantine. Oh, please. Come on. Yeah. Because well, nobody else is, I mean, this is not a contagious I, virus, right? If only the right. daughter should stay home. Everybody else, you can go out, right? Yeah. So I think what we should do is we should invite our guest in to join this conversation because she just got off a plane right, like an hour arrived. ago to join our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, yes. Ashley Trout. How are you? Thank you. Hi. I am doing just great. And I'm also seemingly very healthy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Right. No, I think we're good. I think we're good. <laughs> so we're really delighted to have Ashley here today. She is a female, obviously female, Ashley, hello, but a female winemaker, which is such a, um, you know, women are underrepresented in the winemaking industry. And of course, wine is such a, plays a key role in our conversations here on the show. Yes, it so it just seems extremely relevant to celebrate the fact that she's, she's a woman town. who's made it in the industry and he, and she's in she's town to us. visit, uh, doing some things in St. Louis. Unfortunately, yeah. when we release this episode, she will already be not in St. Louis. Right. Uh, but we wanted to take advantage of her time here. And the reason we were talking about coronavirus is because you just traveled here. And I was asking you before we started the show, what was it like in the airports? Was it was it like a ghost town or not? It was not. Um, and we've we've canceled a bunch of stuff for later in the month that was based around Seattle because Seattle's certainly been hit harder than you guys have. And, right. Well, and certainly harder being, than where we are. Yeah. We're in the middle of nowhere. Because um, you're in Walla Walla. We're in Walla Walla. Yeah. Washington. Did you fly out of Seattle, though? I flew from Walla Walla to okay. Seattle. Okay. Um, and I'm not a germaphobe by any means, but I did pack my own food this time. Really? That's the first time I've ever done that traveling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told my son yeah. today, I was like, we're just going to have to cook at home with the food we already have. Yeah. You know, we have plenty. We're not going to starve. Yeah. But um, mm. uh, yeah. So I would, you know, just that means um, that you, you know, we're all listening to the, the, the messages, whatever I mean, those messages you, are, however conflicting they are. It's we hard are, to gauge because the yeah. messages are, um, you know, you don't want the economy to tank. You don't, you want right. people to live life enough that the economy still does okay, but also lives are at stake, but how many and where, and I mean, it's hard to, right. it's super hard to gauge what to, what I, to uh, freeze and what not to freeze. Right. I, I understand one of the things that makes this scary is the fact that people don't actually really understand how it's spreading. So, you know, a lack of knowledge always stimulates fear. So I get that. But, you know, people die every year, sadly, due to the flu. And this is, from what I'm reading anyway, no more lethal than the flu, right? So it's it's a small percentage of people whose life are at risk. Not that you want anybody to get it, but it seems to me like it's it's not as deadly as what people are fearing. Well, and I, I I would have to I would have to push back on that because we don't know how deadly it is. You know, when I was talking to my friends in Italy today because I reached out and I said, hey, um, you know, it said on the news right now they came across and said Italy's closing your borders. How are you guys? And they live in um, they live in the town of Modena, which is you know like an hour from Bologna, right. just south of Milan. And Milan was like where Patient Zero was was found. Oh. And they had come. I asked them today. She said they he had come from Germany and he'd gone 
gone to the biggest place in Milan and some city center, you know, and done a few things. And so that's where it just spread. And what, the, you know, the information they're receiving every day is, you know, it's not like, oh, we've had one case. Now we have had two, but it's like, no, we've had one case. Now there's 15. Now there's 30. Now there's, four, mm-hmm. you know, now there's it's, 70. It's the, the, compounding the, quickly. The rate of increase is so much faster than we can understand. And they're school teachers. And uh, so they've not been teaching. They've mm-hmm. not been in this classroom for over a week. They don't know when they're going to go back to the classroom. They're supposed to do all the teaching online. Not all of the students have access to computers and the Wi-Fi is like shit right now. And I think it's because everybody's on it. Even our connection on FaceTime was like, oh my God, we're ke- <laughs> I have to call you back, you know, because like dial up all over again. Everybody's <laughs> using it because what else are you going to do? So they and um, they so they're home with their mom and their cats mm-hmm. and their dogs and they read a lot. And but uh, if you have to go to the grocery store, only one person from your family is allowed out to go to the grocery store, to come back. She goes, it's like they're living in World War II. Yeah. The town feels like a ghost town. There's yeah. no cars driving. It's And so, and, yeah. and their thing was like, you know, Italy is such a small country compared to the United States. But if it's, you know, this this girl came back, right? And we have this is- issue in St. Louis. I know Bayer has closed their campus because one of their employees, they, they just announced, has been... Um, uh, has the virus? So oh, okay, they you know were so, they at the ball? <laughs> I have no idea, right? Like, um, yeah. or did they just go to the schnooks, right? At um, where the mom went. So we don't know where it's coming. I know that people who are healthy can be carriers and not nece- not realize that you've passed the virus on. So mm-hmm. we don't know how it's affecting. So I would be, I would always say, err on the side of caution. Wash your hands, people. I can't believe that we have to, that that's so basic. Um, and I mean, then, but that's a problem that even prior with to the, that virus. Right. I mean, this is just COVID-19. a problem, period. <laughs> you know, the fact that we have to have those signs in all of our restrooms, like, please wash your hands. Like, even yeah. just going into a restroom, even if I'm not doing business in there and putting lipstick on, I'm washing my hands. Right, right. You know, like, these are things that we should just... No. And then do things to make sure that your immune system is as as strong as it possibly can, you know, Mm -hmm. like whatever it means to you. If that means like add more vitamin C to your diet, I mean, whatever it means to keep your immune system healthy Healthy. so that if you, you know, that you can, you can um, um, endure it it possibly if you get it. But, you know, nursing homes are like not letting people come visit because, you know, we have populations that are at higher risk than, you know, you you or I who are sitting here yeah. or, or Ashley right no, now. No, I, I, I agree that those those communities should absolutely exercise a lot of caution. I fear, though, if we don't start seeing people recover from the virus, you know, if like, okay, patient zero people. is fine and is healthy and is not dead, right? We are seeing that. I mean, this virus is not brand new. This well, has been around since 2019. But as it's come to the different cities and people are dying, they're dying, that whatever. But if we, until we start hearing anything in the news about people, like more people uh, surviving it, I think the panic Are we going to hear that in the news? I don't know. The news fosters negative and negativity and fear that's how they get ratings that's how people I watch don't know. i don't i don't know if the if the, pan, if the fear will increase and then the economy will slow down even more because more people aren't going to travel i mean they they canceled south by southwest in austin oh did they really yeah that's a huge festival 
So Ashley, I know like we're just like <laughs> blah, 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 blah. we're no, in on this. Are you it's what a are, lot to think about? Right? Yeah. It's a so, paradigm shift. So you've you've packed your food for the first time. Are there other measures you're taking right now that are as a traveler like changing your normal routine? Uh, yeah, I have a friend who's a journalist in town and I, here in St. Louis, one of my best friends growing up and I sent her the hotel that I was staying at. Is it the Ritz? I hope not. It not. It's oh, thank not. God. But <laughs> she did jump right on that to do the sleuth work, right? Yeah. yeah. Which I've never sent that text ever in my life. Um, mm. and then we are canceling. We've got like... Usually every year we do wine club pickup parties. We do kind of a tour throughout Portland and Seattle, and um, and we we have canceled those for the end of March. But but really the Pacific Northwest has been hit by it harder than you guys have, and so um, you just want to. It's not mandatory, right? As for as much as wine club pickup parties feel mandatory, yeah. like the most important <laughs> thing in your lives, they're not. They're not. Yeah. And I mean, on the flip side, what's really, what's really fun. My husband and I are both winemakers. We're both rival winemakers. Oh, which how is kind interesting. Of Two chefs in a kitchen, right? We figured out what works for us. This is better. Um, oh. But it means we both hit the road a lot. We're both at winemaker dinners a lot. We both party for a living, for lack of a better phrase. We're, we do a lot that's sort of nights and weekends. And um it's kind of nice having this sort of mandatory downtime. Hey, it's not my fault. Sorry, I have to. Yeah, I have to sort of stay stay at home or stay. I mean, the winery is still pretty easy, right? It's not a lot of people. It's a lot of grapes, which mm-hmm. don't tend to have a problem with the coronavirus. So um, you just sort of hunker in on this calmer state of life, which is kind of nice. Yeah, in a ter- it's a terrible reason for it, but. To be able to view that in a positive right. way, I a think a little is, shift in instead of being yeah. afraid, like okay, if this is if this is what we're being told to do right now, that's then right. That's we're going to reconnect do. with our families. We're yeah. going to cook dinners. We're going right. to be yeah. intimate with our favorite people. Right. Yeah. My my friends in Italy, they're like we are reading a lot. Yeah. You know, they have the you know they're school teachers. They're in a sense they're like they get a little vacation, right? And because they can read what they want. And I said, do you have enough wine? They said, well, we will let you know if it gets bad. If we run out of wine, then you know then, then we have problems. Then we have problems yeah. in Italy. You yeah. know. <laughs> so speaking of wine, that's a perfect transition to talk a bit about our wine. And um, thank you, Ashley, for bringing wine for us today we have the delight of actually tasting your own wine so i'm hoping that maybe you can walk us through um we are we're actually we have three bottles everyone so we're not going to drink all three bottles we're just going to be well drinking some of them right we're not going to be emptying all three bottles yes yes um i mean we could but i think it would get like ridiculous i mean the night is young we'll see (laughs) um (laughs) but i i i would love it if you would tell us a little bit about um this first wine that we're we're drinking and then we'll just go from there yeah Yeah. sure so we're drinking a rosé um fabulous thank you really pretty thank you so this is our Brook and Bull Rosé. Uh, Brook and Bull is the, the name of the winery. Uh, and it's uh, Morved, Cunois, Grenache. And um, Rosé, I won't go on for too long here because I'm kind of a broken record. I feel like this is information that needs to be disseminated. Rosé is one of the hardest wines to make. And nobody knows really? that. Really? I did not know this. I know. 
Um, they have t-shirts that says rosé all day. You would think that it wouldn't it be. It takes either. all day. <laughs> it takes all day to make. Yeah, ah. literally. It's, um, so when you, when you think about how to make wine, um, red wine, for example, can be cloudy and you'll never know it. So it can be heat unstable, but you'll mm-hmm. never know it because it's opaque. So who cares, right? And it could even be cold unstable, in which case it'll throw little crystals. Have you ever had those crystals on corks, right? Yeah. And and people assume with red wine that's like a really schnazzy, unfined, unfiltered red, which is accurate. But if that happens, if either of those things happen on your rosé, you'll freak out. Okay. Right? If you get a cloudy rosé, oh yeah, I'm not. You know, it's unfiltered or something. It's a protein instability. But the truth of the matter is, it's not bad for you, and it doesn't taste bad. In fact, if you take those wines and you have to deal with them, if you have to find out that protein instability, then whenever you're finding anything, you're finding the good out with the bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Okay. That you makes can't sense. pick and choose for as much as we'd love to Frankenstein something. You just, you can't. Um, and you usually do that with egg whites. So it's not scary stuff, but the really beautiful, good notes get stripped out with that too. Okay. Um, and with a red wine, most people are willing to deal with like a range of color. Very Whereas true. with a rosé, you've got a Hawkeye on that thing, right? Like you're making a lot of judgments Based on the color. Yeah. Based on that color. This yeah, is absolutely. So that bottle's so even opened right yeah. before you've purchased that bottle. Yeah. And so you've yeah, really you're making decisions that. like, okay, this it's got the color of like a provincial rosé or, you know, you're making, you're making decisions about how you think it's going to taste based on its color. Which you really don't do with red wine very no, often. No, you're right. Well, for red, one, you can't see bottles. it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so um, so for all those reasons, rosé is really hard. But then also you don't have oak on rosé. Mm. So it's one less ingredient. And you don't have tannins because you haven't steeped it with the skins right, okay. or the seeds. Yeah. And so because you don't have oak and you don't have tannins, you actually have fewer, quote unquote, ingredients. And so the analogy I like to use is it's kind of like a caprese salad. Like, you've only got four ingredients in that thing. Mm. You're not going to stick an old cucumber in it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, So with the rosé, you've got to nail it. And then furthermore, it goes to bottle for—and I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, but it goes to bottle a lot earlier than reds or whites do. And so what that means is any problem that you're having with too little oxygen or too much oxygen or any other problem you can think of, you've got to fix that. Early. In a much shorter period of time because it, wine's kind of like a house plant. Like once you've watered it, it takes a couple days to notice that you've fixed the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a great analogy. And so with wine, if you've got some problem, usually reductivity or, or over-oxidizing, when you go to fix that, um, it still takes time, mm-hmm. a week or two, for that wine to notice that you've dealt with it. And are you saying that you would have like thought you fixed it, but had to take it, you know, put, put it to, uh, um, I don't know what you said, barrel, uh, you know, before you really know if you fixed it? No. Or you do um, know? Usually it'll, it'll tell you in real time every now okay. and then, every now and then if a wine gets really reductive during, 
like it's early seller days before you bottle it. I bottle it, that's the word, sorry. That's all right, that's all right. <laughs> uh, if a wine gets really reductive and then you get enough air on it, you fix the problem, it's no longer reductive, and then you bottle it very quickly, it does run the risk of getting reductive in bottle again. Okay. And that reductive smell is going to show as like, um, a little bit rotten egg. Mm. It's hydrogen disulfide. So anything sulfurous. Right. Right. I definitely know so that. That's your that you perm solution? About it. Yeah, right? I definitely have smelled yeah. that kind of perm solution thing on wine and so unappealing. But it's something that a lot of men don't actually know when I yeah, say yeah, it's you have to recognize it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that's the hydro- hydrous- hydrogen disulfide. Disulfide, okay. H2S. Okay. Yeah. So most of the time, once you've fixed a reductive problem by giving it enough oxygen and, and taking it off of... It, do you guys ever drink French press coffee? Oh, yeah. And then like halfway through the day, you you see sort of the, the dregs on the bottom of the mug... Mm-hmm. It Do doesn't you know take me about? a whole day to get through my French press. So, but like, you know, later <laughs> on after drinking the first, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what happens in barrels. You get yeah. those sort of drags, those like skin yeah. drags and the and the yeast drags. We call them lees, L E E S. Right. Uh-huh. You get the lees on the bottom of the barrel. And um that is a big reason why you'll get something go reductive in in the barrel because those lees keep trying to eat up oxygen. And if oh, it's a closed barrel, there's no Is it no kind oxygen. of alive still? Is yeah. that why it's still? Yeah. It's wow. a fascinating process. And oh my so, gosh. And so you've got to sort of get it off of those lees into a, into a clean barrel so that they're not demanding that anymore. I often hear like, you know, uh, wine industry people like oh it's been on the lees for x amount and usually that is said with some sort of pride it should be yeah yeah it's a fine game i mean lees lees are a tool Mm -hmm. and if you don't treat them like a tool they'll kind of bite you in the butt um so if you just if they're there and you're not focused on it they'll they'll make a wine go reductive quite possibly but like with a chardonnay you'll hear about winemakers stirring lees on a you know weekly basis while that chardonnay is still in barrel and it gives it this um really beautiful mouthfeel fluff but that only works if you're making sure that that barrel is getting enough oxygen during the process and and opening it up every week and stirring those lees really helps a lot with the oxygen intake. How did you learn all this? <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm yeah. like, wow. Yes. You know, I've just learned more about the winemaking process right. and rosé in this last five minutes yeah. than all of my time drinking. Right. You know, like it's incredible. Like it can how, be a real geek fest. This, oh, I, but, we, but we are eating it up here. Yeah. We're I drinking tol- it up. We're totally drinking it We're up. We're drinking it up. Like, yeah. yeah. To second Emily's question, how... Did you get started in this? Right place, right time. Okay. So that meant that you had a grape and this guy said, let me teach you how to make a wine? Or was it like more involved than that? So I I grew up in Washington, D.C. and uh, little smatterings of L.A. And I wanted to see what it was like to live in a small town for a brief bit. 
And so I looked at, I was 18 and I, or 17 and I looked at colleges and I wanted to use college as an excuse to be in a small town for a little while. And then I'd grow up and graduate and move to a big city and get a real job. That was the plan. That was the plan. It's so okay. interesting. So many people have the opposite dream, right. you know, well, small town, big city. to move to a big city, yeah. right? But small towns don't have jobs. So yeah. I kind of thought, well, this was the one time I'd be able to like take a peek into this world. Oh, neat. And then that would be it. Yeah. And... And I'm I'm very much a um, when in Rome, you know. Here we are. Let's do it. Whatever it is. Yeah. And um, and so freshman year of college, I moved out to this small town, Walla Walla, Washington. And I what saw what university were you attending? Uh, Whitman College. Whitman. So just okay. a small liberal arts college. Okay. And um, I saw an opportunity to do the nighttime punch downs. So What's, a lot of the same oh. stuff we've been talking about. So as yeah. a fermentation is happening during. September, October, and the first bit of November, you get these big vats, these big bins, usually a ton and a half, two tons, and um, and the bottom is liquid, and contrary to what would make sense, the top is solid because these skins act as hot air balloons, and yeast gives off CO2 as a byproduct. So you've got this carbonation thing happening where the skins rise to the top and they block off. Oxygen's a really big deal for wine always. Mm -hmm. So they block off, you you have a cap of solids Mm -hmm. is what we call it. And it blocks the oxygen from getting to the majority of what you're actually making, that liquid down below. So three times a day, if it's a small lot of wine that you're making, you have some peon come in and some 18 year old and punch that down and that's not very complicated i mean it's a it's a plate on a stick right yeah so that's what 18 year olds are for oh my gosh so what is amazing to me chemistry major or you read my mind because i'm like this is so scientific english yeah (laughs) english yeah totally no i was i double majored in anthropology and rhetoric Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Well, I never took it. I mean, again, I'm from like a type A big city. I never took it seriously that I would put a roof over my head being an English, a a farmer and an artist. Well, the the anthropologist. Farmer, artist, and chemist. And chemist. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all of it. Some chemists put roof over their head, roofs over their heads. Yeah. Yeah. But the combination. artists don't. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I didn't change my major. I mean, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously as a path. And then I had a really big accident, my fifth harvest, not winemaking. And I missed that harvest and looking around at the weather being harvest weather and me not doing harvest with it felt so inappropriate, which was a, wow. that was a shock to me. So that was really that was telling your, that was you. your first sign that it was actually inside your soul that you doing that work was was more m- meant more to you than you had actually thought. Yeah, you're absolutely. like it's just a job. I'm making some money during harvest. Yeah, and I can go drink my beer and hang out with my friends and you know study anthropology. Were you drinking wine at the time or drinking beer? I'm just I assumed it I know, was I'm beer. Just <laughs> I, w- I was I was drinking some wine, but again, I started in the wine industry when I was 18. So um, yeah, I just kind of went straight to very fine wine early on. It's the way to start. It, yeah, it, it was not bad. <laughs> it was not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. As we were looking at this rosé, which, by the way, everyone, is extremely lovely. And I did kind of say, like, it's got that provincial color. You know, it's really pretty, kind of soft peachy pink color. And um, it's just, yeah, it's it's a very elegant um, wine. 
I'm also noticing that these bottles, the labels, they're stunning. The photography that's on them. You've got this on the rosé, this really beautiful horse photo, and then these other bottles I know we'll talk about in a little bit. Are you doing the photography? Is this like, is this from your farm? Like, tell me about this photography. Yeah, yeah. Um, I find photos that I love of the American West, and uh, then I track those photographers down in the middle of the night like a creepy stalker lady <laughs> and see if they'll trade for wine or oh, some nice. of those photos or participate in any way. And it's been a really fun um, project. Yeah, so the, it's all black and white photos with no text on it. Um and that was very purposeful. We've got these big heavy bottles and these big sort of stunning black and white photos and sort of unabashedly with with no holds bar, um, no, no text on the front. And it's mm-hmm. um, just kind of a bold statement because I think um, women in general tend to not sort of own historically own those statements kind of in a, I mean, this is the podcast to say this on, but women aren't cocky. Right. Right. And so I think, um, in order to be such a minority within the industry, I think you have to show up kind of guns a blazing. Right. So very purposefully, we didn't interrupt those black and white photos at all. It's beauty for the sake of beauty. And we're, we're not apologizing for it. Right. Yeah, and the information, it's its on the back, you know. You, you can find what you need right. on the back, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, but I do, I do love, it's its a very strong statement. So, do you, um, you were talking about, like, you and your husband, your rival winemakers. <laughs> um, is your taste aesthetic similar? It's slightly different, but not very different. I think, for us, we both really love what we do in a, in a geeky way. And, um, there's not a bottle we won't open. Like we'll, we'll never drink a whole bottle because we have way too much wine in front of us at any given point. Uh, and there's no cultural taboo against starting to drink at eight o'clock in the morning. That's when your palate is best. Right. Seriously? Oh, yeah, note to self, everybody who's yeah, listening. You all might have the cultural taboo, but uh-huh. 8 a.m., our palate is the best for wine. It's true. If you don't drink coffee, oh, I don't go drink coffee. straight to the tank and taste your tanks first thing in the morning, right? You haven't had spicy foods. You haven't had a ton of... So possibly that bottle of wine that I was that I didn't finish the night before, I might enjoy even more at eight a.m. because I mean, it, don't because quote I'm fresher. me on that. But well, I will I will let you know. I, I will I'm gonna. You try. can research further gonna, and find that information from other sources. <laughs> that is fabulous that news. Is very, yeah, thank God I've been looking for a reason to start drinking earlier <laughs> yeah. in the day. Never mind, I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. 8 a.m. But that, but that makes sense. I mean, would you start drinking before you brush your teeth? Oh, well, yes. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting. There are, this is kind of gross, but there are on bottling days, uh, I might not brush my teeth that like first yeah. thing in the morning. I might get through a bottling and then, <laughs> and then, and then go, I mean, Toothpaste yeah. is real brutal with wine. I'm sure you all yeah. have experienced yeah. that. Oh, totally. In um, fact, I think there should be a wine flavored toothpaste. No. <laughs> no, I'm going to shoot that down right now. No. There are good things in life. Prime and power have to be combined. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, because I remember one time um, I, I 
uh, Emily and I were going to go to the wine station, the wine merchant. Oh, yeah. I was like, all I've done, I've just brushed my teeth. And she's like, well, you need to eat something. Right. <laughs> she's like, I'm not going to let you go through That's this tasting. But the, the last thing you just did a moment ago was brush your You're teeth. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. Let me look around. <laughs> Let's get some of this cheese here off this table. Bread cheese. And uh, yeah, because I, I had never, I had never thought about it. Usually, because I would, I would drink it and go, well, it doesn't taste so good because I brushed my teeth. But I was actually cheating myself, right? When you yeah. when you do that, you cheat yourself of the the well, delightfulness of your glass of wine. I, so I, I, I've I, learned yeah. a lot on this podcast. <laughs> Don't about brush your wine. teeth before tasting. <laughs> Rule number one. Yeah, and <laughs> drink at eight a.m. Right. Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much. <laughs> Fantastic. So let me ask you this, because you are tasting so much wine, you must... Um, you drink so much. <laughs> no judgment. How, How is your tolerance? <laughs> I am celebrating that. <laughs> okay, so like, you know, I see the people who are pros at the tastings, and like when they're tasting a lot of wine, they're spitting a fair amount of it, right? Sure. I, I, I drink it all. I cannot. I. It is, it, for me, it ends up all over me if I try oh, that. Try to, oh, if it's I a spitting problem? Yeah. It's because you don't curse enough. Is that what, yes, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you how need do you, to get more comfortable with cursing you, and then you can spit. <laughs> Easy peasy, Emily. All right, one step at a time, right? So what is, is there a technique here that I need to know about? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just practice spitting more, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And I was worried. My thing is like, I don't want to waste any wine. Why am I going to spit it right. out? This is free and it's good. Uh, fantastic. I'm going to drink the whole glass. Well, I have moments. I like mean, whole, if I have whole... a show or something, like I don't drink and play. Right. So. Oh, that's right. You know, right. so. I just wouldn't go to the tasting then. That's what ends up being the issue. But there are many times where I'm like, I really want to go. You know, personal decisions, Emily. I know you're gonna have yeah. to. You're gonna be standing outside in your backyard. Your neighbors are gonna be in like, I don't know what's wrong with her, but she just like keeps spitting and spitting. She the must have the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Quarantine her. Oh my gosh! All right, well, let's take a brief pause because I think we're ready to try the next wine. It'd be yeah. nice to um, open that up and refresh our glasses, and then come right back. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Michelle, I am so excited. We have a new sponsor. I know, Emily. We're thrilled to bring them on board as partners here at Clearly Speaking the Podcast. It's a great group of people. It's worry-free marketing. Uh-huh. And, you know, I discovered them many years ago when I first moved to St. Louis. I was doing a lot of independent consulting work at that time. And this company was my go-to resource whenever I knew a company needed a new website or website work. They needed help in that digital world, yeah. driving good prospects to their website through yeah. AdWords, Facebook campaigns, whatnot. They just did a great job. And I love those guys. So they're a sponsor for us and they're like our social media they're Uber partners, fans. right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, this is like a really great resource for us. I mean, you have done an incredible job with your phone and your <laughs> iPad and your laptop, you know, putting things together. But it's nice when you can have a team behind you. That's right. I mean, because things happen 
more quickly when you have a team versus trying to do it all by yourself. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's its own specialty. Marketing is such a tough thing and to do a really good job at it. I mean, I'm a visual person, a creative person. So I've I've done the best that I can, but you know. And the nice thing when you get to a point in a business and you realize, hey, I I need to bring somebody on. If you Mm -hmm. reach out to a company like Worry-Free Marketing, and then you bring them on board, you are not going to be disappointed at all with the resources, with the research, with the analysis that they give you with the strategy, you know, Um, and we are so blessed to have them on board here at Clearly Speaking the Podcast. I'm very excited about this relationship. I know. Isn't it wonderful? It's great. So they can reach Worry Free at worryfreemarketing.com. And uh, you can always yeah, click we'll make... on the link from our website, too. That's absolutely right. All right. So thank you, Worry Free. You've definitely helped us be Worry Free. And oh. we're back. Yes. And oh, my goodness, I'm very excited about the very first taste I've had of this wine. Can you tell us what we're drinking? Yeah, sure. So this is our Come, Come Hell or High Water blend, and it's... More Ved, Grenache, Cabernet. So usually you have uh, a GSM, which is Grenache, Syrah, More Ved is a pretty common blend. Mm-hmm. Um, but we replaced the Syrah with Cab in this one. So one of the beauties of mm. being a really boutique winery is you can do whatever the hell you want. You this don't... is fabulous. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thanks. It's delightful. Does it come in a bigger bottle? <laughs> it does come. We do... <laughs> Bottle magnums. What I love about it, I mean, I love that kind of butterscotch on the back of the palate or midway back of the palate on this. Yeah, that's the that's one of the barrels that we like using. So, and you know, I am noticed. So, are you a um, like a natural winemaker? Like, what are you? Tell me about your process. Well, yeah, about the process. Yeah. So, the way I would define my winemaking is, I tend to be. Um, very hands off. So mm. I think if you've picked the right vineyard and you don't mess with it too much and you've got some great coopers that you're dealing with, some great oak um, barrels that you're dealing with, but but we don't even do a whole lot of new oak. We do mostly neutral, older oak yeah. that's not imparting a lot of flavor, but is giving us that right Body amount of oxygen. Kind of. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think if you've got the right vineyards, then that really takes care of 90% of it. And then you just don't mess it up. This is so delicious. It's it's definitely, I mean, it's you know, it's 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 of its own character. Like when I if I were to blind taste this, I would be really confused. It's a confusing one. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm I'm not tasting French. I'm not tasting like I'm tasting something really unique. It's exciting to me. It hits a lot of different points on my palate. You know, um, and I, and I'm getting. Um, Definitely some terroir on it, which I always love. But again, it's not like earth that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. And that must be because, you know, you're in a different— Washington. Yeah, you're in Washington. So. Well, and it's an interesting blend. You don't usually get cab blended with uh, Morved. And- I've never even heard of Morved. Mm-hmm. You've had it. Mm-hmm. I've had it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in all Bandol. It's mm-hmm. the it's oh. the primary grape out of Bandol, okay. and then it's in a lot of Chateauneuf de Pop. But it's the it's sort of one of the smaller ones. Okay, um, one of the many 
wines that go in, one of the many grapes that go into Chateau Neuf de Pop. So, so you've is, had it, but okay. it's, a, it's a ton of fun. It's a weird grape. It does a lot of like meat mm-hmm. and yeah. then like bubblicious grape. Do you remember from like the 80s? Oh, yeah, there's like, a bubblicious yeah. grape, yeah. grapey grape, grape. I love that gum. It's pretty goofy. Yeah. So yeah. is it the cab that's giving this like a little bit of its maybe structure? Yeah. 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 And what I always describe cab as doing for wine is if you think about like, one quarter of all wine in the U.S. that's consumed is cab. That's not one quarter of all reds. That's one quarter of all wines. That's, and that's not just my dad doing all that drinking. It, that's right. I mean, no, pretty it, close. It takes a lot but. of people to come up with that statistic. I mean, it's and so what cab does for you, and, and cab deserves this. It's the king of grapes, right? What cab does for you is it's red wine. Right. Okay, so when you drink red wine, you're assuming it's going to be Cabernet. Yeah. Kind of. Do you know? Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? No. I don't think right. I'm saying it the right no, way. No, I think you are. Sure. And so what Cab lends to a blend is sort of that classic highway, right? Like I know what I'm getting when I ask for a red wine. Here it is, and it can be more beautiful or less beautiful, but it's that same general direction. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it. And then you've got that really weird Morved and Grenache that make it a lot funkier, but funkier in a way that's not a huge punch to the face. They're what kind of thoughtful. What is the general yeah. price point of this? I know it varies from shop to shop, but what is the average? Sure. So uh, most of these tend to run about 38 Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I'm crazy about this oh, yeah oh my god like i want to like can i just buy some bottles right now but i know i can't because you know <laughs> well they're fabulous you call people i you we know, know we know call, some people call in, yeah we'll yeah. be calling people oh for my it god. um so when you said that like the cab is the king of uh you know what do you think like the the king wine or you know you said it's very very structured um and that this takes a uh takes a a fuller presence, but I I always like a wine that tells a story, and this is telling a story, but in like a really subtle, revealing way. It's not. I mean, I do like the funky wines. Where like, wow, this is this I, this is continuing to reveal itself, but it's but it's a lot. This is just real, sort of like an unveiling of the story, and mm-hmm. is is bringing you along with it instead of forcing it the story on you does that make sense yeah it does i mean i, I think i think is, what cab is it because of the does, cab or is it because of the blend of the three that no this is- i think you can uh, you could take this you could take this blend minus the cab and it could very quickly be like miles davis on a bunch of drugs like very rabbit oh, hole you know, okay like yeah very, yeah very crazy will absolutely appeal to a niche population and there you are and that's okay. that's what you've done okay um, and that is worthwhile absolutely but uh, what cab does is it brings it a little bit more into an understandable zone mm, approachable approachable zone while still being extremely thoughtful and creative does that yeah make yeah sense yeah it does so yeah. you, you know we've talked about the fact that um, Women are underrepresented in the wine industry, particularly, especially um, in the making community. Yeah, in the production side. Yeah, which I find to be a little bit astounding because, well, I mean, women were known to have palettes that are more complex. And women purchase 70% of all the wines purchased in the country. Okay. There's a there's an imbalance there. 
There is. Definitely an imbalance. Yes. Um, you were you were rattling off some statistics when you first came in and sat down here today. Would you mind repeating them for our listeners about the how many women are winemakers versus, you know, sommeliers versus, I mean, owners? Um, yeah. Owners, yeah. The wineries, statistics yeah. are pretty staggering. And yeah. I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm still confused about why these statistics exist. So... Um, of winemakers in the nation in the U.S., uh, about eight to ten percent are women. So of winemakers of winemakers. So it's okay. kind of like pilots. Um, okay. Yeah, and then of uh, men of male winemakers, forty-seven percent own their wineries. Four. That's a high percentage. I know a lot of yeah. boutique wineries in this country. Yeah, which is which is a nice. Thought, mm-hmm. if you think about it, yeah. Um, well, only four percent of women do. Okay, now, so how many winemakers again? What was the the number? Usually about eight to ten percent, and only four percent of, of those, those eight to pe- of those eight to ten percent actually own their wineries. Correct. So it's even smaller. So do tiny. you and your husband both own your own? <laughs> <laughs> Um, or he does, but you don't. Legally, <laughs> legally Washington is a 50-50 state. So okay. He does own. Oh. Um, but no, I, I, it's, uh, it, Brook and Bull is kind of my, my passion project, my little... Um, one of your passion projects. You have more than one. I have a couple. I have a yeah. couple. And then Brian, my husband, works for um, Duckhorn, which is a really— Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Duckhorn, based out of Napa, they've got one project in Washington State, uh, one wine winery called Canvas Back. And so he's their winemaker for Canvas Back. Oh, so wow. very different situations because my winery is, is small, boutique, and I am the owner, and I— wear many hats. He makes much more wine than I do for a bigger winery and gets to really hone in on uh, one thing all day long, which Mm. is kind of just that production side, but at a much higher Well, that's really interesting because, I mean, you've got two two very different perspectives in your household, which I'm sure imparts information that you both can benefit from. We do. Yeah. Yeah. We really benefit from it on both sides. That's great. As yeah. a, as opposed to like having a competitive feeling about it, which could be challenging, I would imagine. Well, I'm not going to say we're not competitive. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a little bit of that, but, um, but I mean, you have to keep it, you have to have your priorities straight. So, yeah. so let me, let me just check. ask us a, a relatively simple question for those of us that aren't um, steeped in um, wine lingo. Your husband is basically hired by somebody else to produce wine for them. Is that what you're saying? That's so correct. As a He's winemaker, their winemaker. So, so the label is the uh, company that he works for. Right. Right. But you make this as a winemaker owner. You're, you know, everything about um, Brook and Bull is you. You are the you are the employer of yourself. Yes. Yeah. And so, and are these grapes on your property too, or are you out going out and finding the grapes that you want to make these wines? So I source fruit from vineyards that exist without me. They they are owned and run by viticulturalists who are amazing at what they do, and that's what they do all day long. 
And even if I had the money to do it, I wouldn't have the time to do it. Yeah. Okay. So, so you get to go shopping. Me, it does. I get to go shopping. Yeah. I get to go grape shopping. That's fun. Do you have super uh, super fun? Do you have an idea of like a wine you want to make and then go searching for a grape, or do the grapes that you that you're picking from dictate where you're going to go? Like, oh my god, I'm so in love with this grape, I have to make this wine, or. I think I'd like to make one that's a little complex, but not really, but it lasts long. Let me find that grape. Yeah, does the I don't art know. I don't does know. the art drive the product or does, does the, the product make the right. art? Right. Yeah, I, I would say it's mostly the former. I would say there are specific sort of geek fest projects that I know are gonna turn out really beautifully if I don't mess it up and I get my hands on that fruit. And I know where. Okay. Because right? you can plant the wrong thing in the wrong place all the time. That's not what I want. I want that. Is that thing a common mistake there. in the industry? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You get you get a lot of um, people who are just so excited to get into the wine industry in some capacity or another that they just buy land and plant it. And <laughs> that's I would do that. Yeah. Well, I'd be like Look here in my backyard in South gonna, City. I've got grapes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pour a little more of this you for me. Pour I hope you don't mind. You no, I'm go like for going it. in for uh, encore. Pour. You go for it. But I mean, the flip side is you can do research projects until the sun goes down and until you've planted it. I mean, nature's crazy. Yeah. You know, you could, you could have all the statistics in your favor and then it just tastes bad. What was the worst bottle of wine that you've made in your your career that you're like, oh my God, I learned so much on that? Oh yeah, it was a rosé. Was it? Yeah, it was the rosé that I made right before we got married. And so we- Was sh- it going to be your wedding wine? No, but it turned out to be. <laughs> so, right. what I, so what we did was we I shook the bejesus out of that. Luckily, there wasn't a lot of it. It was like two carboys or something. It was just a, a little tiny project. And so we- aerated the bejesus out of it which is what it needed but again this was like way too late in the game and then we turned it into a sangria and so it was our it was our wedding it was great sangria but it was nothing i'd ever stick my name on my god no oh my god that was terrible yeah. yeah but it was salvageable i mean that's a good i that's, mean that's a good it, thing to salvaged do with it. you get enough people at a wedding and you get the first bottle of wine in them and the sangria can be anything that you want it to be Sure. Wow. So you learned a lot from that one. That one. You learn a lot from every wine. From you every learn wine. a lot from every vintage. You just, you have to be there. You mm-hmm. have to be there in that moment. Otherwise, you're not going to learn those lessons. You so can't what, learn them from a book. What year was your first vintage? You said you've been doing this for 20 years. Does that include your time as the punch girl? Punch down. The punch down girl? Yeah. Okay. So that's 99. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then you, but your first bottle was produced in what year? So my, had your... I started my first winery in O, uh, or fir- the first vintage was O four. Oh wow! Okay, and then I released it in O six. Okay, and it was your winery. Your, I mean, your like yeah. everything was yours. Yeah, not. For what do your parents else. think about yeah. this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they probably love it. They're like, you know, send me more wine, right? Yeah, but dad's, I mean, do you need anything I need to test for you? <laughs> well, so my dad's this vascular surgeon. It's a totally different deal, right? And so yeah. he comes out every harvest, and I hold, I hand him the pressure washer, and he holds it and like hopes it doesn't blow him away. And that's kind of what we do with dad one one week a year. Like, here, dad, here's a pressure washer. He has no idea what to do with it, but he's just excited to be a part hands of hands on. 
artist and he's proud of me, but he would have been proud of me no matter what. He's a great, he's a great guy. And then mom's kind of out of the picture. So I'm not really sure, but, um, no, it's certainly a left turn. It's certainly a left turn. They probably had like similar ideas about your college experience too. She's just going to go out there. She'll test it out and then she'll come back to the big city, get a job and, you know, fall into line like everybody else. Well, clearly they were supportive of you figuring your own voice out because you, you had said you went and studied, was it, uh, you had a liberal arts degree. What was it? Anthropology and. Yeah. And rhetoric. And rhetoric. So, I mean, you know, that's. Pretty. It was a long leash. Right, exactly. So they were all about... But they expected you to come back. No, I don't think they no? did. They no? Were, as soon were as you, you got on that plane to Walla Walla. You were always... Yeah. Were you always a different child? Yeah. 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 I was, I've always been ready for the adventure. And I'm not sure that's exactly the part of Washington, D.C. that I came from. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I want to circle back because we haven't gotten the, like... The day you, or like when you said there was the right place, the right time. Yeah. You left us on, you had an accident, you didn't go to harvest. Which and- is that accident something you'd be willing to share with us? <laughs> yeah. So I had a rock climbing accident. Okay. You are about adventure. Oh my God. <laughs> did you fall off a rock? Yeah, I did. I free fell about 35 <gasps> feet. You are so lucky to be alive. I am. I am. Do you, you, st- you broke some bones? I broke a whole lot of bones. Oh How my long were God. you in the cast? It was like like a body cast kind of thing. So I, was, I mean, we could handle it. We had somebody on who'd been in a coma for like six weeks. Oh so we're good. We're good here on the no, podcast. No, I wasn't in that. No, no, no. Um, no, I was in the hospital for 40 days and I had five surgeries. And um, wow. Yeah. You're but I was so like 22, lucky. 23. So I was able to, took about six months to recover to to where I'm at which I'm half metal by this point so that's not perfect but um, you're you're what I'm a I got a lot of half titanium. metal yeah. oh got it yeah do you, so going through the airport, airport yeah, I, I, yeah. Hope, I hope you have TSA pre-check <laughs> and global entry because they probably like always scanning you yeah, yeah. I'm sorry we have to rub you down yeah. no you don't um so I look forward to that rub down personally, but no. And was like, please, can somebody (laughs) give me like a staple I can put in my sock? You know, I'd like a little bit of something I can put in my I pack metal intentionally. Exactly. I've got these tight yoga pants on. I'm going to slide a little piece of a hairline piece of like flossy metal. So my husband and I, he's half Costa Rican. We went to Costa Rica for our honeymoon. And and in the airport, we saw the security This in Costa Rica, the security checkout guy was flagging all the cute girls. Of course he was. Oh, God. You got to love Latin America. And so by the time I was towards the front of the line, I was like, he better pick me. (laughs) I better get picked. Or I'm gonna be You're like pissed, doing your hair right? in the line. Right? <laughs> Some lipstick. I think he likes, oh, they, he likes red lipstick. I yeah. want to win, right? <laughs> and uh, anyway, we got to the front of the line and I got picked and it was like, it was a good, it was a good moment. You were validated. Yeah, I was validated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're getting rubbed down. Oh yeah, look at me. Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm chosen. Chosen. I'm a chosen one. Oh yeah. my God. So you were uh, laid up, uh, recovering. You missed the harvest. Was that your impetus that you knew you wanted to do winemaking or was there something else that happened? along the line it it was yeah it was as I was recovering um my boss who I had worked for for years by that point had 
I mean, couldn't do much with me. Like I was, I was on crutches by the time I showed up back to his door. Just give me the thing. And he just sort of stuck me in the lab and was like, (laughs) you know, run free SO2s or run, you know, run TAs and pHs and stay in this lab and don't hurt yourself anymore. And for God's sakes, don't climb barrels right now. Right? Like, <laughs> just stay, stay there. We have this wheelchair for you, yeah. and we will roll you in. We will roll you out. Yeah. We can't have you break your, anything else. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, it, but it wasn't the kind of harvest I was used to. So that was that was the moment, kind of looking around and realizing how incorrect it felt not to be in w- just one room over. Okay, mm. um, that was a big deal. And was he willing to share with you how to make the wine? And oh, was yeah. He, was Chuck he, was great. Was Chuck's he always your, been great. your entree into yeah, it then? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Where you, you see Chuck? Oh, my God. Is this... Who is uh, not this? Two Buck do you, do you Chuck? Know Chuck? Uh, no, 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 no. There's a who, who, who. So who? I worked for Chuck Reininger of Reininger Winery for um, eight years. So he was one of the okay. many wineries I worked at. And he okay. was a great, great guy. Yeah. Oh, and so you worked for him. You when did you like decide I want to do this for myself? I'm that t- moment, that harvest, that harvest. Yeah. That you that so everything then from then on it was like gathering even more knowledge so that you could step out on your own. Right. So a month later, I went to Argentina to work that harvest because then the southern hem or a couple months later, then the southern hemisphere was coming online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really was, I was off the crutches. I had my body back. I could, I could do and be and go. And so I did. Um, and I, I contacted a friend of a friend of a friend and he said, yeah, sure. Come on down. So I did. Are you paid when you're doing that? No, you know, it's, it's a third, it's the economy is not great down right. there. And what's so interesting is because the economy is not great, you've got all these people that go through high school and they graduate and there are no jobs. And so they go through pretty much free college and they graduate and there are no jobs. And then they go through pretty much free master's programs and they graduate and there are no jobs. So like Pepe down the road with no teeth has a has a PhD. Why? So it's really hard to saunter in and be like, you should hire me instead, you know, especially when you're 22 and there's You've all these smart up. people. What's prohibiting them from We don't creating? have time to go yeah, into that on this yeah, podcast. I'm just curious, <laughs> though. I mean, you've spent time there. Yeah, you know? Argentina. I have, I How many years have, were you there? I did eight harvests in Argentina. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a, it's an amazing country. Yeah, I, it's on my bucket wanted, list. You should go. I, I dance I dance. What are things that you so love it, about it? It's definitely on my bucket list. Tell me about. Tell us about some of the things you love about Argentina. Ugh. 110% of everything. Okay. Yeah. The food is amazing. The music and dancing is amazing. The concept that you should prioritize friends and family. And, and you know, I was watching these sort of 25-year-old, 30-year-old ladies who found time every day to drink tea at 6 p.m. with each other before going home and meeting up with their families and doing 10 p.m. dinner or 11 p.m. dinner mm. and just just this flow of priorities and um, a love of life that's pretty fantastic. Have you brought some of those practices home? Yeah, not as many as I... There've, some have fallen by the wayside, for sure. But um, I would say my husband and I do a pretty good job of loving life. We've, yeah. we, we have a lot of fun. 
I have the 10 p.m. dinner thing down. Emily, do you? <laughs> oh, my God. You will probably love it because she will say, come over for dinner. And she I'll, means 10 p.m. And I'll say, so what time? It's like, she goes, yes, you can come over at 7. You're oh, not yeah. going to eat till 10. And uh, it's and, experience. You know, I, I, on the other hand, have you know been. I, I'm a. I'm uh, almost finished raising my children. Uh, person, and I've been single for fifteen years, or divorced for fifteen years, and so whatever I, I needed to feed people and get them to bed. So I need to I need to feed you by six o'clock, or we're going to go to soccer practice. We're going to eat something on the way home. But it's all about like taking care of these. These essential schedule these issues mouths right? that are hungry and get them to bed so I can have a moment of peace. So Emily and I approach life from a very mm-hmm. different opposite end of the spectrum. So and like it's about being together and there's gonna be great food. There's gonna be great and food, wine. but I have to eat before I go <laughs> because I'm not gonna eat till much, much later. I always and I don't have the get, appetizers well, and right, snacks. But you also have like great bottles of wine and I'm and I'm gonna drink them. I'm drinking them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm I have to go home now. I'm gonna miss the meal because I'm drunk. I'm like, wait, the cocoa vent's just about to come out. <laughs> I, I need to take a nap, Emily. I I don't know. I'm sorry, you know. Uh, and then just like, well, she's a lot of fun, you know. So, so um, we're just in different stages of our life. Uh, but I'm glad of, that you've been because able of to... our experiences. Yeah, you know? right. But um, that doesn't mean that you know. On occasion, I can eat at ten o'clock, just not every night. Right. right? Absolutely. No, not every night. But that could be American, too, because when I was in Italy and travel Europe, I don't mind eating much later. And uh, so it could be See, just, you just have to something turn about on your, our American culture. Yeah, you have to turn on your European brain when you, like— When I go to Emily's house, yeah, I'll just work like, with the French accent. <laughs> or Italian, whatever. <laughs> or whatever I feel like talking as I drink my wine, right? Yeah, it's definitely like that. We. Oui. <laughs> yeah. but, pro- but I feel bad because I'm standing around at your house— waiting for you to feed us, <laughs> drinking your wine while you were working your ass off in the kitchen. And I'm like, I should probably be helping, but I'm going to get in the way, you know? And it's like, but if I helped her, we could eat sooner. You know, this, this, it, for this me, conversation in my For head. me, like what I love, it's like, um, let's just hang out in the kitchen. Let's like, like make it a, like, I don't expect people who come over to like start chopping things, you know? I just, it's just about hanging out and making making the experience so you got the music you got the wine you got the food like it's just yeah you know and I, I will have eaten all the appetizers and the meal comes I'm like I'm full and, yeah <laughs> but you probably plan that so you don't have to buy as much for dinner because you know everyone's gonna be full be very gorgeous and beautiful I would I would make a strategic yeah I'd be like oh, okay I'll get everybody I, over I way some... overcook I, there's always way too much food yeah. Always. I, um, it's like, you know why? Because your people are asleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your so Amer- there's that. Your American friends are asleep on the couch. They can't eat anymore. <laughs> so feed them at seven, it'll all be gone. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Emily loves it right. when I give her shit about I, her dinner parties. I love it. I love it so much I invite her all the time. She's like, yeah, and, but I've gotten I've gotten wise to it, you know. Yeah, I, I'm you have a snack beforehand. I do. That's easy. I do. I do. That. So now, do you speak the language? A few, yeah. Yeah. What are your languages? Um, I speak Japanese, Spanish, and English. Okay. Japanese. Where did that one come from? I lived in Japan for a year and a half. Another part of your adventure. Yes. Uh, 
post-college, pre-college, in college? Smattered in between. That's actually where the accident happened. So I uh, fell in Japan. Thank goodness. Because if I had been in the U.S., I wouldn't have been insured. And the healthcare in Japan was amazing. Amazing. It was great. And the hospital food was even tasty. It was amazing. Seriously. I know. It was great. But, um, yeah, so when I graduated from college, I... I, um, I had a feeling that I was going to be in wine because I had done it for for four or five for four years by that point, and it was something I didn't I wasn't ready to stop doing. And so I, um, in a previous world, I was a potter. That was that's always been kind oh. of my hobby. And so okay. I wanted to take a moment to step away and and see what that world was like because I figured I'd be ninety and look back and maybe only had done one thing with my life. And I will be right by that. That is exactly yeah. what's going to have happened which is fine but yeah you're not right by that you've done a lot already i mean yes you've been extremely successful as a winemaker but oh my gosh you have all these adventures and stories so you you know and i have a feeling there's probably some stories from argentina that we're you know we'll you, get on another podcast well, right right <laughs> <laughs> we'll get her, we'll get we'll, we'll get her yeah. drinking a little bit she's yeah. she's as as a seasoned winemaker she is withholding her, I know. Wine from, she I do pace she's uh, I don't. She's still on rosé. She's still, and we're about ready to tap in. To and, Emma, the and Emily's like, that. like three. <laughs> she's on her third third glass of red wine. Um, Actually, not yet. I will be soon because I'm very interested to taste this third oh, the, wine. The third wine. We do. Have so, three. what do we? What is this third one? So, the third one is our Walla Walla Cabernet, um, and that is the the focus on the way I like to make cab is um, low oak. So, I think often when you've got um, like boutique high end Cabernet. Um, it's got a lot of oak on it, whether it deserves it or not, or whether that was the right oak choice or not. Um, and what I wanted to do was showcase how beautiful Walla Walla Cabernet could be um, without masking it mm-hmm. with any oak. Um, so that's kind of the focus year in, year out on on how we make, how I make the Walla Walla Cab. I'm going to ask a, another um, simple question are these wines that we're drinking here tonight, are they, um, they can wait a few years too? Or like right now what we're drinking is perfect to drink them? Or Both, both. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as as a wine sort of ages and opens up, it's not a light switch by any means. Okay. Um, but yeah, they can, they can, they can age still. quite nicely. I tend to pick a little bit on the earlier side. Okay. And so what that does is it... Um, adds a little more acidity to the equation and that tends to help with a lot of the aging is aging longevity if you think about those italian bombs Mm -hmm. of acid that aren't ready early but will age for forever and ever and ever Mm -hmm. that's acid and tannins but a lot of acid okay I, I'm going to enjoy what I, I, I can't have yeah. a new one yet. I know. Because I'm not going to spit this out. Do you want to taste mine? I'll smell it. You can. You can. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's so different than what I just, what I still have in my class. I mean, that is clearly a cab, right? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, it's, oh yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. But it not like... Um, I don't know. I think I've gotten a little fussy. <laughs> and and so like sometimes Really? Well, 
Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the over the top Napa cab kind of thing, right? And I know you're not Napa, so. But I'm just, to me, like, you know, when I was first studying wine and loving it, like that was exciting because it was like, oh wow, like all this stimulation happening on my palate, and I tend to go for, you know, and then then you go through this like arc of appreciation, and I was like I, loving subtle nuances like that that evolved for me. So um, what I like about your cab is that it doesn't have that punch. Yeah. You know, there's more elegance there. Yeah, know? there is. There's a lot of... Cab will intrinsically pull away from the softness. And right. so to find... To softness, find yeah, that that's what you have. Where it's still flirting with a little bit of subtle anything is... And this is a hundred percent cab. The battle, yeah, yeah. And how do you achieve the softness? Well, it's um, probably a trade secret. Emily. It's a trade secret. Oh, okay, all right, all right. You, but then all right. bad things would it's your have own to secret happen. sauce. Um, okay, that's okay. That's all right. No, I mean, I think a lot of it is tannin management. So, which is another word for saying oxygen. Um, mm. So it's picking picking the right. Um, amount working to get that right amount of oxygen in there picking the right pick date is always one of the biggest decisions you can make as a winemaker i think a lot of what happens certainly in the 90s is winemakers were picking later and later and later and later and later and that was what Uh. was getting those big sort of port like yeah Yeah, right right? yeah and then you had to bounce and then it had no acid because you dropped all the acid out by waiting too long to pick it. So then you had right. to add another ingredient because you were no longer, you no longer had acidity as an ingredient in that wine. And so then that ingredient was oak and new oak. And oh, there's wow. nothing more fun than showing off how much money you can spend on new oak if you're a winemaker. <laughs> it's that, really? Because I mean, all winemakers, those barrels but are you do expensive. have to remember 90% of winemakers are men. So, uh, okay. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay, so we've got a, a new oak of, complex. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so, is, that. so, is it like like the new oak is the wine ma- male winemaker equivalent of like the peacock feather spread? It's some peacock feather spread. Okay. And uh, having said that, there's some great oak choices. Like, it's not all for naught. I mean, there are some really valid reasons to buy wonderful, new, beautiful barrels that do amazing things to your wine. Yeah. But. Mm-hmm. But, but. So, have you studied this to me tastes very old world in style? A little bit, yeah. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, not you know, like I'm getting like almost a French aesthetic here. Have you studied that? I there? think a lot of that is is the earlier pick more acid and, and less of the new oak slam to the face. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's how delicious. do you. I mean, we went through the stats of the female winemakers and, and you know, not only female, like, owners. Mm. Like, how how do you differentiate yourself from everything that's out there? And I know that's probably, like, a, a question that every winemaker has. Like, how do I—what makes me unique? What makes my style unique? Um, are you making wines that you want to drink or do you are you making wines that no nah, you know they'll be a the pretty, will pretty commercial success um, because right now everything is fantastic yeah everything has been fantastic so um, and you're and you're a female in a predominantly male industry right 
lots of layers in there. Choose, li- yeah, choose whichever were, question. I know. You I was. I, was I have like three follow up questions, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to add those on yet. Well, <laughs> I'll try to give short answers so that you yeah. can keep popping up with different layers of those questions. So, um, I, I think you're not supposed to differentiate. Uh, you're you're not supposed to d- differentiate. Isn't the goal okay? Right. The goal is how do I make a fan fucking tastic bottle of wine? Period. End of story. Right. And that has to be for your own palate. Okay. You can't fake that because there are so many. It's such a moving target and nature is involved and so much time is involved and so much money is involved that if you keep second guessing what somebody else would find to be a fantastic bottle of wine, you're going to fail. Okay. It has to be for your for your palate. Um so that's the that's the first answer. What are what are some of the other questions? I, I go ahead. I'm curious. Just uh, you know, being um, a woman in this space, you, is it harder for you to pave your way and prove your value? I mean, like it's so many industries. Like we have this uphill battle as women. Like, has it been in uh, an embraced? Have you been embraced in this industry or have you really had to like overprove your value in comparison to maybe other young 40 people under 40, like, you know, who have tackle, new, bu- taking, new barrels, right. who right. have the new barrels, <laughs> yeah. big new barrels, big, lots of big new, new barrels. barrels. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, um, no, I think, and, and. You can quote me on this all day long, but it is controversial. I think being a female winemaker is easier than being a male winemaker. And my husband will be thrilled that I said that in a recorded studio. Right, right. And why do you Um, say that? Oh, gosh. I mean, the hardest thing, uh, like we were just talking about, you don't want your wine to differentiate because that's not the goal. The goal is how do you make a beautiful wine? But you still have this problem of how do you stand out. Truth be told, there are a lot of fantastic wines out there. There are a lot of winemakers who are really good at what they do, really passionate at what they do, and it is really hard to stand out. One really easy way to stand out is to wake up every morning being female. Okay. Okay. Wow, well that's such a great perspective. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah. I don't it's work a strength very hard for you. at waking up and being, being female. female. So it's it, that's kind right. of nice to take advantage of that that difference Hell that you yes, have right there. Absolutely. And then um and then just continuing to produce amazing bottles. And then getting it to the people. I mean I I guess in any business it's getting your product to the people who are gonna drink it and market. I mean, that's always like a struggle. If if you write a book, how do you get that book to the people? If you're making a t-shirt, how do you get that t-shirt to the people? If you're creating a podcast. If you're creating a podcast, if you're making a movie, you know, it's always, how do you get it to the people? And speaking of that, are you all around the world? No, we're very tiny. Yeah? Yeah. I'm not going to get into why we're distributed in Missouri, but it is a fluke. Because you have your friend who's a reporter here. It's because of Julie. It's because of Julie. Um, (laughs) I think we need to meet Julie. Uh, <laughs> she's a wonderful human. Um, yeah, so we're we're distributed in, in Missouri, but we're only distributed in five states in the country, and we sell out almost exclusively through the wine club. So we're very hard to find. 
Okay. Yeah. Deceivingly uh, hard to find. It, does your wine club stretch nationally or it just does. In, Okay. Yeah. And then you have to take on those extra ideas or um, situations of, okay, when is the best time to ship? How do I ship? How do I make sure my wine is going to taste the same for the person in D.C. as it does for the person in Walla Walla? Yeah. I mean, some of those ships have sailed in the okay. sense that winter you're not shipping because okay. of weather. Summer you're not shipping because of summer and you have two shipments a year. So you, you do shipments to in the fall and in the spring and there you are. Okay. Um, and then as far as the wine tasting different from D.C. to Missouri to Oregon, I mean, it's a living thing, right? It's got these yeah. changing molecular structure within it at all times. And so you just have to sort of make the best wine that you can and hope that everything goes well and, and mostly hope that you've made the right decisions that you're not cooking it along the way in some UPS truck and then the homes that they go to right. know what they're doing. Know what they're it. doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well I think, Michelle, we should plan a time to go to Walla Walla. You would love it. I mean, I think this is the message you know, from today. You know, Emily, uh, she can always use somebody to punch I can punch punch downs. Punch downs and um, yes. you were looking for an internship. You mentioned that earlier. She's looking for a place to be an intern. <laughs> I, I, yes. Yes. And then you're going to be like, yes, I actually and. love living here in, uh, in Walla Michelle, Walla Walla. Michelle, we're going to do the I'm not coming here. back. <laughs> I'll be like, that's fine. I've actually work. been to Walla Walla. I've I done know. some wine tasting there. Fun. Yeah. Um, I've done, I you know, because I, I've spent a considerable amount of time in the state, I've, I've done a fair amount of tasting in the state as well. I love it. It's great. So yeah. we'll definitely have to find a time to come visit you. Yeah, absolutely. On your property. I, yeah, I, I, I do that. have, um, I have two more things I want to ask you. Have you noticed in the, um, with the climate change, has it affected, have oh. you noticed your business changing or your harvesting or your, your like, art your, changing, your time frames or when you did things change with climate change. And then I really wanted you to tell, tell our listeners about your nonprofit. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, yes. I have kind of a not very sexy answer as far as the climate change. Um, we are so much depends on each vintage you're on, you're on for such a roller coaster that even the non roller coaster seasons are roller coasters unto themselves. So when you're really in, um, when you're really in the weeds, it's it all seems chaotic. Does okay. that make any yeah, sense? And so I I certainly think that climate change is happening and we're gonna have to be aware of it down the road, but I'm just taking it one harvest at a time. Okay. I think yeah. that's smart. And that already is, especially with two winemakers and two little kids. That's already <laughs> all I can do. Oh, handle. you have two little kids. I do. How old are your children? Six and eight. Have they been exposed wow. to wine yet? Yes. In yes. fact, <laughs> our son is very good at Blind calling a Riesling versus a Sauv Blanc versus a Chardonnay. That's a game we like to play. And in how our old house. is he? Is he the eight year old? He's the six year old. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think DHS in Washington is listening to this. So we no, don't have to worry. No, he's not tasting. He's, he's smelling. just smelling. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right? Fabulous. Of course. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so because you're taking it vintage by vintage or year by year, the. The trend or, you know, I guess if you were to sit back and look back from 20 years ago and take this graph and, you know, you could probably see it then. But right. Like right, right. now, I got to worry about 2020. Yeah. And and a, a good retort to that kind of a rebuttal to that is my vintages are certainly starting earlier 
okay. than they did 20 years ago, but it's also because I'm incorporating more rosé into what I do. So I think in general, it's, it is vintages are trending a little bit to an earlier start. Okay. But it's, it is very hard for me to see it. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned you have a non nonprofit wine label. And is that also in the five states or is that in, in more states? And tell our listeners about your nonprofit yeah, wine label. It's pretty incredible what you're doing there. Sure, yeah. absolutely. So Vital is the name. Vital Wines is a nonprofit winery for better access to health care for vineyard and cellar workers in Walla Walla and our surrounding communities. Okay. So almost all of our profits go to a local free clinic, the SOS clinic, which is an open door, no questions asked, free bilingual healthcare clinic. And then for Vital, we get pretty much everything donated. Grapes, corks, capsules, bottles, labels, graphic design work, shipping supplies, you name it. From all other winemakers or or, 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 or vineyards and everybody in the surrounding community? Well, and and national companies and international companies too. So a lot of these companies, cork companies and capsule companies and bottle companies, those are all international companies. Um, But if you think about a lot of those countries uh, in Europe tend to have a better grasp of healthcare. So a lot of the, a lot of the top dogs that we've spoken with have been like, here, take more corks. Yeah. You know, That's amazing. You, uh, yeah. Is this a result of your time in Japan? Had you fallen anywhere else? And so maybe wanting to take <laughs> care of them? once a year. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's a big part of, in part because of my accident. And then uh-huh. also I was raised in a bilingual bicultural household and my brother and I did some of the translating in the doctor's office for our grandmother. And wow. that, um, that kind of stays with you because you've got sort of these grandparents who are very vulnerable in these situations. And meanwhile, they're trying to be strong for their grandkids who often they're in charge of. Uh. Uh, and then you've got these kids on the flip side who are trying to get it right because they know how important it is, but it's medical jargon and they're sex. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at sort of who is making our wine, uh, if we're being honest, it's a lot of people who fit into that demographic. And so it was important to me, both between how I was raised and then also my accident, that we deal with this somehow. Um, yeah. So so For, that's what we're doing with Vital. That's, that's fantastic. Powerful. That's fantastic. And I'm, I'm going to guess that the wines are just as tasty as oh. the bottles we've been drinking tonight of uh, Brook and Bull Cellars. Well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, same five locations, or, or is Vital just on... Vital's in- been a little bit of a slower role. It's it's more chaotic, so every donation season is different. Okay. I have to turn down about 30 tons every year of donated fruit, and in order to do that and not tick anybody off, you have to... You have to rotate who you say no to. Okay. Um, and oh. then we work with... We function because of a lot of volunteers. Mm. So the chaos on that sort of ground zero is is so much more than what we do with Brook and Bull, that it's it's kind of a slower role expanding okay. where where Vital is sold. But we've got the wine club for Vital as well. That's fabulous. And that could be nationwide. That can be nationwide. That's fabulous. Well, Ashley. What a delight. I, I know I, we've kept you a long I'm time like, I'm and like you just flew a few, in. A few and... sips from like just telling all my stories well, out of school and, and we don't yeah. want to go there. This is okay. not the podcast It's for not that, that time. It's but not for that. The, the, all of the wines have been extraordinary. Um, extraordinary. I would say we didn't really pick a panty because we, there's there's three wines, three pan, like three panties. But if there's just in general a school of panty that you would pick for this wine, 
Michelle, what would it be? Uh, it would be elegant. It would come in a multi pack because in and and different colors. Like yeah, for for seven, for every day of the week. I love it. Uh, but a, but really really wonderful material. Yeah, whatever your favorite material, luxurious. panty, luxurious panty would be. That's this wine. <laughs> if it's fur, bark, or latex, right? Or yeah. lace, or right? lace, or, whatever it is, you know, or like a like gold string. <laughs> if that's your favorite panty, then that's what this is. You know, but it's wonderful, absolutely beautiful, and it's just awkward to la- end the show on a panty. So <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, say thanks well, again yeah. to Ashley. We <laughs> of have, course, this is our scripted way to get out of the show because we had a little bit to drink. Um, really it's been lovely having you. Thank you, you for making time for us yeah. today. Well, thanks it's for been like, an honor coming to yeah. St. Louis. And I hope when you next to be come through town, give us a call. We'll I'll make dinner. Together. It'll be 10 o'clock. It'll be yeah. late. It'll yeah. be late. Eat, eat ahead of time. Come by my house. I'll feed you at 7. Mm-hmm. Like we could do both. <laughs> Two dinners. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Good night. <laughs>